Hello and welcome to episode 9 of the Richards Report. In this episode, I'm speaking with Joe Watson. He was best man at my wedding and the good news for listeners is that the conversation in this podcast is far more memorable and interesting than the speech he gave at my wedding. Job takes quite an active role towards his investments. Famously, he's got an interest in a growing chain of cafes in New York called Hole in the Wall, which we discuss. We also discuss his successful property business called Infolio, which is based in Melbourne, and how he's opening up an F45 in Brooklyn, which opens up in May 2018. There's a bit of an underlying theme with some of these investments, and that is recognising something work in Australia and taking that concept overseas. Job also has a small amount of funds invested in cryptocurrencies. Despite only being a small portion of his investments, I couldn't resist the opportunity to chat to him about why he invested in them, how he manages uh, Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies, and what his thoughts are on them right now. Let's get straight into it. I hope you enjoy it. You're listening to The Richards Report, where we will speak with investment experts from around the country. We will cut through the jargon to allow you to make more insightful investment decisions for your future. This is The Richards Report. Hey, Joe, welcome to The Richards Report. Thank you for having me. What what guest number am I, Ted? Episode nine. Right. Don't pretend you're not a huge fan. (laughs) Now, it's, uh, it's now, what, the first week of February 2018 at the time of recording this podcast. So how's retirement life going? It's going well. I had the opportunity to finish the uh, season. Unfortunately, we, we finished up and, and lost to the Swans in the first final comprehensively, as I'm sure you would have watched. Mm. And then um, as in a footballer's uh, world, you have a nice holiday and I took the advantage and um, made the most of having an, an eight-week trip after um, the season finished. And uh, I assume, as most footballers do, was it, was it Vegas? No, no, I didn't get to Vegas. Um, I have a, uh, a strong affiliation and, and a lot for uh, New York, so I was back there um, and then went to uh, a few other spots around the world. So I went and did a drive through Canada and down to Portland and then... Well, 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 let's just go back a step. You drove through Canada. Yeah. Could, uh, you, could you not afford flights? <laughs> <laughs> it's actually a better trip if you drive it. Oh, okay. So we flew into Calgary and then drove to Banff and then up to uh, to Lake Louise and then up the ice Pacific Ice Way up to Jasper and then a bit further north, not quite to Edmonton, and then down to Whistler uh, and then on to Vancouver. And then uh, you said Iceland after that. Yeah, flew to... If anyone would like to go, my, my, my partner, she's Dutch, so we were going to um, Holland and we thought we'd stop over. Iceland Air have quite a good uh, deal where you can stay up to seven days at no extra cost in Iceland. However, the, the cost they don't tell you is when you actually arrive in Iceland. <laughs> it is the world's most expensive place. I thought their, I thought their economy... Was in a lot of trouble, but apparently not. They, their, their economy was in a huge amount of trouble. They had yeah. some rogue um, operators around the uh, late '90s, early 2000s, and in I think in the big crash of 2009, uh, they lost everything. However, what did change was between 2010 and now, their 
tourism went from 150,000 to 2 million people annually. So that has caused all, co- all kinds of uh, inflation problems. <laughs> Supply and demand. <laughs> Funny you should say that. Uh, a, note, a side note on Iceland, it's a wonderful place and, and people should go just to experience it because it is um, so unique. But 76% of the people of Iceland believe in elves. Oh, okay. <laughs> Good little fun fact there. But I, my mind was off going, oh, I wonder what the return on an Airbnb one-bedroom apartment would be in Reykjavik. Well... We were talking to the girl who was working um, at the little hotel that we were staying at, and everywhere's become a hotel. I'm sure now. it wasn't a little hotel. No, I guarantee you it was. And she was saying that what's happened now, because um, they were doing a lot of filming in Iceland, uh, huge movie studios were coming and filming, and they did the, the recent um, Star Wars film, was uh, parts of that were filmed there. But they've actually. Maybe Planet Hoth? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the. Uh, They've actually priced themselves out of the market, so they're oh. now they're now going to Norway. And I went and did a trip. Great opportunity for Greenland. Exactly. <laughs> Unfortunately, I don't think Greenland's that hospitable. Oh, okay. Well, Norway's no cheaper. No. Well, I went and did a hike um, when when I had the year off through. Oh, uh, you're just having a party <laughs> <laughs> through Norway. Well, I thought this podcast was just me talking about my yeah, travelling. We're, we're going to get back onto investments, <laughs> but I want to hear the end of this story. No, so I went to, to Norway to do some hiking and I couldn't believe the prices uh, and that was just dwarfed when I went to Iceland but the lady was saying that all these massive studios have had to uh, leave uh, Iceland to go and film in Norway because they've priced themselves out of the markets, become too expensive for even the Hollywood studios to film there. You've got to start holiday at Kuda in Bali where you'll get much better value for your money. So anyway... I, um well, we could sit here and, and chat about your holidays for ages. But, we can. Um, I'm happy yeah. to do so. <laughs> Next episode. Now, after the holiday, what have you moved on to? You've got a, a couple of things going on post-football. What's your week look like these days? Yeah, so I have a um, property um, business, buyer's advocacy and property management business um, in Folio Property Group based here in Melbourne. And the company has been around since 2009 and I um, purchased... Uh, an equity portion of the company uh, in 2016 and I was doing some work experience prior to that and so thinking about what my week would look like because you know a lot of players struggle with that transition into uh, what people would say a real world job Yep. and I thought to myself well I have the opportunity here I guess owning equity to try and make this work and in coming to that realisation I thought well three days a week you might laugh, but it's actually uh, a, almost a transition period for me. So I thought rather than go for five days a week where I'll probably not like it because it's just such a change in yep. lifestyle for me, yep. I thought, well, why not gradually do it? So I'm starting at uh, three days a week there, Monday, Wednesday and Fridays. Um, yeah. Okay, and that's uh, buyer's advocacy. I'll, I'll play devil's advocate. Why would someone use a buyer's agent in Australia? I was a client first. Yep. So I went through the process as a client uh, and purchased a property. And the reason why I did it, why I decided to do it, because it's, it's a large capital investment, it was that the first property that I bought, I used my parents' advice to buy it. And in the end, it wasn't a great property. <laughs> Shout out to Tim and Susie. <laughs> great parents on everything else other than property. I'm yeah. only kidding. They've done very well yeah, yeah, themselves. Yeah, yeah. But that was my thinking behind it. It was the largest capital investment I was ever going to make 
and I, like I suppose a lot of other people, used the advice of people who I trusted to yep. make that decision for me. And in the end, I thought, oh, hang on a minute, I'm making this massive investment. In any other form of investment, I would go to someone and seek advice on what I was doing. And I decided that the way forward for me was to do that. And I used an advocate, had a great experience, purchased, asked if I could come and do some work experience with them. Um, they were able to, and then I, I purchased um, the equity in the business and are now working there. I guess the reason why I think it, it is a, a good business and, and why it actually makes a difference is because of the experience and knowledge that the, peop- the team at Infolio and any buyer's advocate has experience in buying, you know, over two, 300 properties over the last uh, five to eight year period. Negotiation, which is a, is a real art form. Yep. Um, and you're operating against someone whose role and job is to act in the best interest of the vendor. So agents uh, are licensed and required to act in the best interest uh, of the person that's house that, or apartment that they're selling. And so they should. Yeah, absolutely yeah. they should. That's why yeah. people are paying them. So we, I think, in in Australia, and the idea is that people love talking about property, especially in Melbourne, and they all have an agent that they consider a friend or someone that could help them out or that they've yep. made contact with. But in the end, the agent is designed and required to act in the vendor's zone, the opposite yeah, side. Yeah, there could be a bit of a conflict there. Yeah. So I feel like that the opportunity to to help people make the right decision um, because you can make the wrong decision in property to make the right decision, the expertise in negotiating and the opportunity to, to purchase properties that don't hit the market. And that's that's a really big part of our business. So, you know, 45% of the properties that we purchased um, in the last financial year were market uh, were properties that didn't hit the market. So that that ability to to offer that added value to our clients, I think is something really appealing. And you've invested in cafes in New York. Is this where you famously worked while you had that year away from the game? Yes, I did. I, I went to New York and, and I wanted something to do. I'm sure, as you're aware, New York um, is a fun city and can be a dangerous city if you've got a lot of time on your hands. <laughs> you need some structure. I, I hear that. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I think it can bring the best out of you or it can bring the worst out of you in New York. <laughs> and so I thought, look, I, I, wanted, I wanted to get something out of my year away, yeah. you know. And the meatpacking meat area has definitely got the worst <laughs> out of you. Uh, and so I thought, look, I wanted to learn and I wanted to have these great experiences. And part of that was um, I wanted to become a barista. So I uh, found um, through a friend of mine, uh, asked the guy, look, um, I'll come and work for free um, if you just teach me how to make coffee. And he said, yep, sure. And that was where it started and it gave me some structure in the week. It, it was a new skill set that I learned and I actually loved engaging with people. It was my first job in hospitality. Um, I loved talking to customers and um, learning a new skill. And then the opportunity to invest in in the company uh came about and we're looking at at, uh expanding now we've already we opened our um, second cafe in the start of 2017 in so may 2017 that's um that's gone really well and we're looking at um it growing and getting bigger and and i think that the reason why i like investing in uh coffee and cafes is that 
Melbourne and Australia have an incredible product and we have such a high standard here and we're spoilt for the way the way in which we consume breakfast and and coffee and the standard that we the standards that we expect here you can still find some rubbish though <laughs> if you look hard enough you can find yep. you can find some but over there it's a point of difference and yep. um, it's something new and and it's something that we can showcase to a huge consumer market that the the scale of um, consumers over there is frightening compared to here. You know, there's 350 million people who live in America. There are 15 million people who are in the greater New York area. The trick is that the rent's very expensive. <laughs> your, your overheads. <laughs> well, the thing that the overheads is, is mainly your rent. Everything oh, yeah. else, staff yeah. and things like that, is yeah. is far cheaper. But the the style of the way we eat is been is very different from the the rest of the world and, and breakfast and that as Americans now uh, claim it to be a new American style. That's oh. a, that's what that Australian is 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 uh, now like a, referred to as new American, like a new wave, a new wave of American style. Oh. But we've got a product that is superior in my mind, and, and so why not share it with the world? So I'm in New York at name of the company Hole in the Wall. Hole in the Wall. Yep. Um, I walk up to the bar, you make me a coffee. Should I tip you if you make me a coffee? Uh, and in this in this hypothetical scenario, you know it's not real. I'm never going to tip you, but should I? <laughs> well, I, I never accepted tips when I was working, um, but I suppose it's part of their culture. Yep. Um, and it's the expectations because wages are so low for people who work in hospitality. Speaking of uh, part of their culture, I know the US loves a good pumpkin spice latte yeah mm. what's your thoughts on these you make a few of these not a huge amount of pumpkin spice uh, pumpkin spice lattes but we you know like the idea of flat white is yep. something that was started here that moved over there and now uh, they have cortados but you could go to a lot of places and they'll order a flat white and especially someone in new york will know what a flat white is and it's synonymous with an australian cafe smash davo was something that wasn't didn't exist it was it was guacamole uh and all of a sudden australians took it over and smashed over with an egg is now a staple of uh, a lot of australian cafes and now starting to be incorporated with some american cafes as well and the avocado farmers around the world are having a laugh (laughs) i think it was six dollars the other day for an avocado (laughs) um now you've diversified into gyms too can you please tell us a bit about that yeah so i when I was here uh, at the start of 2016 and, and we'd been recently banned and I was thinking of things to do over in New York because I needed projects, you know, like a, an idle mind, idle hands of the devil's work, you know. So I needed things to do and yeah. I needed things to, to concentrate on. And one of the ideas was the, the concept of F45, which was had been working and it started here in, in Australia and been really working well. And it was very similar to the way that we trained, you know, high lactic anaerobic short rests go again so it was like a football style of training and i thought to myself like this is i i really enjoyed this style of training it it's not long it's not it's really high intensity uh there's it's a different style to what a gym looks like so in 2016 i went over there with the idea could i start one and i looked around and i thought look this this is actually would be a point of difference there was Equinox, which have market share over there, um, 
Barry's boot camp was more based in London at the time. There was a couple of other ones, um, Soul Cycle, which is huge, but based on a, um, a bike. Um, and so I thought, look, there's actually the space for this in this market. Let's, and what F45 is in my mind is like a um, more open commu- community uh, feel to it than what. Um, it is a bit more social than that. Yeah, far more social than. For me, F45 was community based style of training that I that resonated with me because of what I'd done um, through football and was probably a, a slightly different to what a CrossFit session looked like. So. I investigated over there. In the end, I decided to come back here and play and it wasn't going to be feasible for me to be over here and not being able to be there on the ground and set it up. Uh, I was able to meet someone based in Melbourne who was moving to New York who liked the idea of it as well and he was looking for a partner. And that's how the gym has come about. We've, we've gone into a partnership. He's moved, he moved over there. Um, he's experienced with uh, F45 here in Melbourne and moved over there with the green card and we're setting up we bought the territory for Williamsburg which is where I lived and we've set up a gym there and we'll be opening in May oh congratulations there's a, a bit of a theme here seeing something work in Australia and taking this concept overseas listeners may be aware I'm involved with Six Park which is an Australian robo advisor but uh, robo advice actually first took off in the US and now in Australia uh, robo advice is becoming more aware of um, and people are becoming aware how robo-advice is helping investors so I guess there's somewhat of a, a crossover there. So you've noticed cafes and gyms in Australia, anything else you like in Australia that you think could work overseas? What, well, about, what about Passiona? <laughs> <laughs> Quite saturated with, with fizzy yeah, drinks over there yeah. and actually losing um, sweet soda drinks are starting to lose yeah. market share, which is interesting. But yeah. I'd kind of be going against the trend there, wouldn't I? <laughs> what I do notice over there, especially in America, is their use of technology, which is different here. And uh, unless you could... Probably... I hear iPhones are big over there. <laughs> they have this thing called the internet, which... <laughs> I don't know if it's going to last, <laughs> oh. but I swear yeah. this guy down the street told me he likes it and I think it's good enough. <laughs> oh. All right. Um, I should have a message from our sponsor, uh, Six Park. Six Park is Australia's number one robo-advisor, giving Australians professional investment advice at just a fraction of the price that other robo-advisors charge. We use the best of technology to deliver a recommended portfolio over equities, property, infrastructure, bonds and cash with all investments overseen by our world-class investment advisory committee, featuring the former chairman of JP Morgan Australia and a former federal minister of finance. On a $10,000 investment, fees are just $50 per year, which includes everything. Check us out, sixpark.com.au to find out more on our recent performance, or even better yet, try us out for free by taking our free risk assessment and see how we would invest your funds into a globally diversified portfolio. Okay, Job, I know that you've got a portfolio with Six Park, and as much as I'd love to discuss your Six Park portfolio, I think um, the listeners would be interested to hear more about another investment that you've recently dabbled in, and that is cryptocurrencies, which uh, famously includes Bitcoin. My thoughts on the topic are quite well known. Uh, I'm by no means sitting on the fence. I have quite a level of conviction and uh, where it's probably out of my circle of competence, but uh, I've decided not to dabble in it. 
I'm uh, also not so arrogant to think that I'm certainly going to be 100% correct, as I'm fully aware that I could be quite wrong on this. Side note, my wife tells me I'm wrong about many things. <laughs> Shout out to my lovely wife. Uh, but back to cryptos. You're on the other side of the fence, and I, and I respect that. What I really admire is you acknowledged early that it was out of your comfort zone too, but instead of being intimidated by it, you took it uh, took the step to educate yourself as much as you can on it. Where did you go to? Well, it's a very good question. Um, I went to the internet of all places, yes. and I suppose it, we, you and I, we uh, we talk about um, heat. You know, we love, we both love the um, the Fantastic movie, one movie. Of the, absolute top, and we both listened to the rewatchables uh, episode that Bill Simmons did on it. And shout out Bill Simmons, <laughs> big ups, Bill. Uh, sorry about the Patsy yesterday. Um, and it's a bit like that that scene where De Niro's talking to uh, to Kelso, and, and he's asking you like, where do you get this information? And he goes, it's it's just flying out there. It's just it's just out there, and I just know how to grab it. So I'm not technically um, a technology guy. And when my girlfriend and I were overseas, we were talking about like where is what's what's happening in the world, where is it going? We both came back and we were thought, oh, like should we learn how to code? Because neither of us, she's much better than what I am, but I'm terrible at it. And I thought, oh, well, I should start doing some reading up on it. And, and um, the crypto sort of flew, uh, flowed into that. And I started to read about this whole world that was going on that I had no idea about. And, and it got interesting. And I, I was really interested into people's philosophies behind it, um, where they thought things were going. It's a little bit like when people ask me about crypto now... I say, well, it's it's a little bit like when Alice falls down the hole. You know, like how, how deep is she falling? Because that's what crypto is. It's like if you're going to follow Alice into Wonderland, you don't really know where you're going to end up. And that's how I think that whole world is operating. And what you've got is you've got these people who are totally against the, the, the current system and they think that technology will be the way to change it. Sure. I find it hard to believe that these people hang out on the internet with theories about the world's ending. <laughs> how, do, how do you separate, uh, I guess, you, what you think is the truth from a bit of rubbish? Well, that's a really good question because there is so much rubbish. As And you'd, um, I know you'd be shocked. I could knock you down with a feather, but the internet... <laughs> People, people lie on it. No, <laughs> you wouldn't believe it. No, I don't know how we can try and get some more culpability on the internet so that people have to be held accountable to what they say. But the, there's a whole idea of you know reading white papers and, and what companies do and 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 I guess it's really like what do you believe will the future look like? And it's it's such a hypothetical question for everyone that what's twenty years going to look like. So if you look, in my mind, if you look at what current world looks like, is that every child that is born now is more technically advanced um, than what I was when I was probably 15, by the time they're three or four, in terms of their ability to use an iPhone, the phones are in their hands all the time, their lives are going to be on this platform, the internet or whatever it is. The children growing up now that are growing up with voice in terms of Google Home, 
Apple Home and, and, and Siri. I think uh, from what I'm, I'm kind of seeing and experiencing, that that's, that's something that's going to blow my mind in 10 years' time, how trusting people are just to talk to technology constantly. And that's a really good point. So will, will these people, like contact and human contact, what will that look like in 20 years' time when they've spent so much of their formative years where the, a device was the major part of their contact or certainly far more than what we were we had when we were growing up. So the idea that peer-to-peer transactions or transactions where I can lend you money and you pay me back um, without the use of a bank or a third party or the idea where a whole group of people can, uh, for example, order a car. Say there's a thousand people who want to order a certain car instead of that car maker sending cars off to a dealership and the costs involved when it reaches a thousand people who order that same car the dealer ships straight to the orders and cutting out the costs so what my my thinking is what will what will it look like in 10 15 20 years time will people will the idea of outsourcing still be what people want or will people be through the use of technology be far more willing to do things themselves because it's sped up and that they can use Google uh, Alexia or Watson or whatever other platform is there and, and what will AI do to it as well? So I don't know. I, I'm, I, I, I'm happy to be wrong, but I would rather have explored this and gone and opened my mind up to these possibilities than have put my head in the sand and just said oh this is too hard I'm not interested it's too complicated for me and I don't understand it sounds like an episode of Black Mirror yeah Um, (laughs) probably following on from that fundamental analysis looks at business balance sheets debt levels income statements profits and importantly what's going on with the cash within a business on the other hand there's a a thing called technical analysis of a business which is very different and it looks at charts I'm not sure how much you can learn from this, but there are momentum traders out there that have strategies like this, which um, simply look at charts for technical analysis. Maybe I'm a bit naive here, but I'd like to know, can you do any form of analysis on cryptocurrencies other than just technical analysis? And what I mean by this, is there anything you can look at just apart from the chart? Well, it's an interesting question. And as you pose it, the the market is... is going through a, a real crash after it went up through uh, an exponential rise uh, towards December of last year. And, you know, governments are coming out. Um, first, there was the South Korea, India talking about banning, China's talking about banning. So there's, it's very difficult to, to look at a chart now because there's, um, there's so much volatility. Yep. Um, with the fundamental analysis, it, the, there's a lot of faith being put into an idea. You know, and the ability to have a great idea, will this work, won't it work, is there a way to compromise somewhere in the middle? Because there's this whole argument of like a a centralised and a decentralised internet and the idea of the internet came about and and in the first cycle of it, it was um, wonderful and decentralised and things like that and then these huge companies came in and have now slowly started to centralise it again so that your information is now profitable for someone else. Um, And whether or not there's somewhere in the middle, I I think. And so 
implementing some of the aspects of um, centralization so that people who uh, have grown up in, in a different era are comfortable, but also incorporating perhaps some of that decentralization as well. So the idea where a company could build a platform that is centralized, but allow uh, peer-to-peer transactions to go onto it. Take a backward step. Determining a price to buy an asset, whether it's a uh, Bitcoin or, or some other asset, is hard enough. But I'd say it's even harder. But I'd say even harder is determining a price that someone would sell it. How do you determine when to sell? Well, that's a really good question um, because I haven't really sold a lot of my coins. Um, I've sold a couple when I thought, oh, this is ridiculous, this price. Yes. And um, I'm comfortable taking um, uh, profit out of it. But the other ones that I've invested in, I'm more of a long-term holder and the the sums aren't uh, where it's going to be a life-changing and I'm trying to buy a Lambo and drive on the moon as you could hear like this is the terminology that is used and and it's more about like being involved in something that could change um the way that we operate and at the moment absolutely banks have played a pivotal role in the society that we live in but there's two billion people in the world who can't get a bank account but they can get a phone so i think you know the the lower socioeconomic parts of the world are perhaps the ones that could benefit from something like this. Unfortunately, what happens is that it becomes controlled by the the, the top, and then they are the ones that make the money, and and that's probably what's been faced through the um, crypto markets at the moment. So, have you uh, ever lost any coins? <laughs> and this is a really interesting part of it as well. Is like a MyEth, a wallet, a ledger, all these sorts of things like using the Ethereum, Ethereum network to, to send and, and stuff that I had no idea about. And this whole world was operating without any of my knowledge. And, and so I thought, well, if I'm going to do it, I've got to learn how to do it. And when you're actually transferring you know, Bitcoins and, and you're waiting for the um, transaction to go through, it's incredibly nervous. At one stage, I, instead of you know, copy-pasting and st- um, sending it, I was writing my codes down and then retyping them into another computer. And one of them, I I'd, uh, missed a letter. So the thirty-three to thirty-five letters that you have to write and lowercase, uppercase le- uh, numbers. And I'd uh, <laughs> I'd missed one, sent it. The transaction had said that it didn't go through, but the coin had left my account. And I was, this was a Sunday morning. I woke up, my girlfriend, I was like, I've lost it. I don't know what I'm doing. What have I done? What have I done? She goes, well, surely you can't send something. And then there's all these warnings, you know, like do not send it to someone that you don't know, ICO, you will not get it sent back, all this sort of stuff. In the end, I did, I was able to, to, to get it and the, the transaction never went through. But it was, it's part of the process. And if that was, you know, it's part of the education and I, I just, I've been fascinated fascinated by it and, and it's been a great learning process for me. At the time of this podcast, it's the first week of February and there's been a big sell-off in cryptocurrencies. You don't have to tell us specifics about how you are managing this volatility, but are you a contrarian and viewing it as a bit of a buying opportunity or are you taking profits or potentially taking some losses or are you sitting on the side for a while? I'm sitting on the side for a while and... I guess because there is such volatility in the market and then 
no one knows where the bottom is. You know, people put out charts all the time, thinking waiting for a bounce or something like that, and it, no one knows. And that's that's the thing. So um, I'm I'm quite happy just to sit on the sidelines, perhaps look to uh, bolster a couple of positions, um, but who knows when that is the right time? Um, so it's it's just part of the learning process for me. It's you know if you if you're going to go down this path and learn about cryptocurrencies then part of it is to learn what it's like when the market is going badly and it's dropping um i think that's important when the market's falling sometimes people use an analogy it's like like catching a falling knife i I think with the cryptos it's like catching a falling uh chainsaw (laughs) (laughs) well i did see one of your uh one of the quotes that your brother uh tweeted the other day from warren buffett that you never know who's swimming naked until the tide goes out yes well I think a tidal wave might just come through. But anyway, we, we, we'll have to agree to disagree on that. I should give a bit of a disclosure here that uh, what we've been speaking about doesn't qualify as financial advice. Be it cryptocurrencies or other investments, neither of us know your personal circumstances. So this discussion is for educational purposes only. However, Hopefully entertainment purposes oh, oh, yeah. more than yeah. educational. <laughs> <laughs> True. <laughs> but however, I, I do want to say, like, if, if for whatever reason you do make a million bucks on cryptocurrencies after listening to this podcast, I think you owe me at least a good podcast review on iTunes. <laughs> have you been getting? I haven't, I haven't seen any. Yeah, what, do you, yeah. what have they been like yeah, lately? I, five stars. <laughs> <laughs> how, how many are from Joanna Richards? <laughs> Hi, mum. I love you. Okay, now to finish. Um, thanks for the five stars. Thanks. For my, hi, Mum. So, Pitbull, a.k.a. Mr. Worldwide, hmm. where are you in 2018? Are you in Australia or New York? Well, it's a, it's a good question. I'm not sure. Uh, my girlfriend's finishing her last year of her undergrad in uh, biomedical science um, at Deakin, and I'm really enjoying um, you know, working in another in- industry and being here in Melbourne. Um, whether or not we go back to New York, uh, I feel like there's probably a little bit of unfinished business in New York for me. Um, I have such a, a wonderful memory of being there and that's where we met. It's a really life-changing sort of period in my it, it, for me, um, going from something that was uh, you know really difficult and, and hard to deal with in, and seeing the world and opening up the, the world and my eyes to how... Uh, life can be lived and what you can do um, so I still have that romance with New York and uh, there's a little bit of unfinished business there for me but it might depend on um, circumstances and and uh, if Melbourne's going to be the long-term home she is looking at becoming a um, or she wants to get into medicine so it's far easier to to practice medicine in the country that you've studied in rather than um, going to to America and studying over there. If someone is in New York where can they get one of your flat whites? And do you have like a signature design with the milk that you do on top of the coffee or is your trademark signature just simply burning the milk? (laughs) I could tell you some funny stories of me uh, when I was in my early stages of working. (laughs) I find those very easy to believe and you haven't even told me. How how were your first coffees? Oh, terrible, terrible. But luckily I was... You know, the, the Americans were drinking it. They didn't know any better. <laughs> and I could have put a lid on things. I had, At one stage, I had milk flying all over me and all over the shop because I'd burnt it and I got distracted and the steam had come up and it got too hot and all sorts of things. But 
now we've got far better baristas than me working there and we're at uh, got our flagship store is at 15 Cliff Street which is just above Wall Street Teddy so I know that when you're over there negotiating big deals for Six Park you'll be able to drop in and have a decent meal and a coffee yeah. um, from walking distance from the famous uh, Wall Street and hopefully uh, looking at, at uh, opening um, some big things in, in 2018 as well. Um, and and you've also got your cafe in uh, Midtown as well. The, the Midtown Cafe, which is which is sort of more of a hole in the wall. The, the, the Cliff Street one is our flagship store where you can sit down a lot more like a um, Australian-style, Melbourne-style cafe. Uh, and then if you felt like you were doing, wanting to do some uh, exercise over there, then the, the gym is opening up on uh, Grand Street in Williamsburg. Um, in May, I'm I'm big in Brooklyn. I'm big in Brooklyn. Shout out to the Richards Report fans sipping on their drip coffee in Williamsburg right now, and that's where that's where the gym is. That's where the gym is, and uh, will be um, the classes will be starting when the gym opens up uh, in May, um, which is very exciting. And we touched on uh, in Folio your buyers advocacy and property business. Where can uh, listeners find out more information there? Yeah, so we're on online just uh, www.infolio.com.au um, and we obviously, the thing about the business is that we, bu- we buy both uh, for owner-occupiers and investors and we have a property management arm of the business as well. So people who are investors and then looking to have their property rented out, uh, it's a one-stop shop so it's a, a seamless um, transition from the advocacy and then into property management. And football this year, Any, anything with on playing or coaching in 2018? Uh, no and no. Um, I, I felt like it was uh, the right time to to have some separation from football and uh, other than perhaps um, helping you out with the whiteboard every now and then, I know you're about to undertake a coaching role, um, which would be interesting to see how it goes with, with your wife as well after your second child. It's very, uh, very noble of you to, to decide to take up the coaching role well, given that you've just had your second child. Yeah, shout out to all my uh, under-15s listening in. And um, I've decided you're going to be uh, my Gareth Keenan role. <laughs> Not assistant manager, assistant to the manager. So, you know, um, you know what happens in the end. Who gets promoted? <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't so much a day of laughter, was oh. it? <laughs> All right. Uh, to finish, not everyone has the time nor the capital to make direct investments and manage a portfolio of assets like yours, Joe. You've diversified across many assets, including gyms and cafes overseas, and other asset classes you've invested too. But what I think is admirable and listeners should reflect on this is that you're not afraid to educate yourself when it comes to investing. Some people can be intimidated by investing and don't know where to start and you try and reduce that uncertainty to learn and educate yourself as much as you can. At Six Park, even though we invest our clients across somewhat different asset classes, we have a fairly similar investment philosophy to not put all your eggs in one basket and to diversify your investments. We invest in assets like international shares, property infrastructure and bonds. And just like you, we like to help our clients educate themselves on why diversification is important and why each investment is important in their overall portfolio too. I'll have links to everything that we've mentioned in the show notes on the Six Park website. Job, thank you so much for taking the time to uh, chat today. Thanks very much. No problem. Thank you for having me, Ted. It's been wonderful to be a participant on the Richards Report and... Um, Who knows, we might find ourselves in some form of a podcast in the future. All right. Thanks very much, mate. Cheers.